Well, good evening, and uh, we're going to turn to the book of Proverbs uh, as we continue our studies there, and um, we're going to be looking at part of chapter 6 and 7, and I'm going to read part of that for us now. So, Hebrews, uh, sorry, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman. From the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. My son, keep my words. Treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. And then there's a a description of an event that describes an occasion of adultery. We'll we'll touch on part of that as we go along. But let's go down now to verse 22. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He doesn't know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Amen. And this is the word uh, of God. 
Now here we have another aspect of of wisdom that uh, Solomon is talking about, uh, wise living. Um, Interestingly, in this passage, it's not just Solomon who is um, giving this wisdom, it's Solomon and his wife. They're both talking about it. They're both talking to their children, their son, their sons, plural, and daughters, no doubt, as well, are involved in the teaching that they give. Um, We've discovered up until now that his uh, proverbs, his teaching about wisdom, covers many aspects of life. Just looking back in chapter 6, covers laziness and work, covers finances. But he's he's returning now to a subject that he's already raised in chapter 5, this subject about wisdom and, and adultery. And he's doing this because clearly it's something that's high on the agenda. It's something that's important to him. And the fact that it's repeated, it's repeated for emphasis. And so, you know, for us as well as for the boys in the house in his day, you know, this is something that is not only highly relevant, but enormously important. And it's important to talk about. It's, it's the right thing that we hear about a subject like this from the pulpit rather than from the telly or from uh, social media or in the classroom or, or on the playground or wherever. We come to the, the word of God and the word of God's wisdom uh, in this. Now, clearly, what is said here comes out of a whole attitude of concern and love for their children. And they're wanting the best for them. Uh, they're trying to warn them in, in every way from practices and behavior and situations that may well be harmful to them, that will cause spiritual harm and, and unhappiness. And one of the great lessons, and this is the first word uh, that we're going to be thinking about. We've got these four words to kind of hold our thoughts, to try and structure things a little bit, help us to remember what's being said here. Uh, one of the great lessons is how active the parents are in what they're trying to do for their children. You know, they're not having a kind of laissez-faire type of attitude. They're, they're being active. Uh, they're participating in this. They're, they're being deliberate they're, they're not leaving things to chance. Uh, they're saying, sit down, let's talk about this. Here is an issue. Uh, here are the concerns we have. This is God's wisdom. This is what we think you should do. These are the kind of situations that you should avoid. They're deliberate and active in addressing the situation. They're not hoping that somebody else will do it. They're not leaving it to to kind of chance or osmosis or, you know, that they'll somehow or another just imbibe it in another kind of way. They are taking responsibility as parents. And um, and there's a phrase from the the author Charles Swindoll that I've I've always remembered. And as far as parenting is concerned, what Swindoll says, being passive is poison. We have to be active. We have to be intentional. We have to be deliberate. And I think that is a lesson that comes straight out of this passage uh, on a surface level uh, for us uh, just now. Now, the first other thing to notice, and it really comes under this kind of same heading, is this. That they have confidence in the Word of God. They've got confidence in it. And that's why they say, you know, here we have these commandments... 
Here we have these, these teachings. And we want you to bind them on your heart and tie them around your neck. Now, of course, that's metaphorically. You know, they're not, they're not asking them to actually tie the, the pieces of paper around their neck or around their hands. Although, I'll get to this later. You know, some people actually did this. But uh, he's talking about the importance of taking this on board, of the confidence that they have in the Bible. Now, that still comes under this first uh, heading, actually. And it's the word active, but it's the word active in a different way. Because his belief, their belief, is that the Word of God is not some sort of neutral factor, that reading the Bible and its message when we accept that and we embrace it, or if we, to use his terminology, take that around our, or hang that around our, our, our necks, that it's not some sort of neutral thing. That there is something active and there is something alive and living about the Bible. Now, notice the, 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 the vocabulary here in the verses. Notice the the activity, the verbs, the action words that are here. Because what it says is this, in verse number 22, these words, they will lead you. They will watch over you. They will talk with you. They will discipline you. They will preserve you. Now, this is a very important point. You know, it's our confidence in the Word of God. Now, it's the book of Hebrews chapter 4, of course, which says, the Word of God is living, and it's active, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And so when we take the Word of God and embrace it and take it into our hearts, it it has a life of its own. It's not a dead word. It is a living and an active word. If you go to First Peter chapter 1, he makes this point there. He says, you know, you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. It's, it's a living seed. It's the living and it's the abiding word of God. And all flesh is as grass and it will wither away but the word of the Lord, it endures forever. And this living word germinates and takes an effect and, and has an impression. On, and we have confidence, therefore. And that's why the great apostle Paul was able to say to Timothy, you know, from a child, you were taught the holy scriptures and they gave you the wisdom that led you to salvation. From those scriptures... You were led to the point of salvation through faith in Christ. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ is described as being the living Word. In the beginning was the Word, John 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt. And when we take this Word, this written Word, we are actually receiving the living Word, who is Christ Himself. And we have confidence that that active Word will change and preserve and will guide and will teach and will discipline, just as is expressed here in this passage. That's the first point. Active in two senses. Now, the second thing 
is that he, he warns about the need for his children to, to be on guard, to be, to be alert, and, and to be vigilant. Um, he says, you know, as you grow up, boys, uh, what you need to be aware of is that, you know, not everybody is as nice as you think they are. That there are people out there who, who are predators. There, there are people, and that, that is the vocabulary that's actually being used here. You know, he's warning against the evil woman, the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And look at the vocabulary in verse 25. He talks about the possibility of being captured. He talks about, in verse number 26, about being hunted down, about his precious life being hunted uh, down. So he says, you know, don't be naive. Don't, don't be flattered by attention that's given to you if somebody approaches you, because that flattery is all part of a strategy of you being hunted down. And so you need to be alert. You need to guard your heart by embracing the wisdom of God's word. Now, this whole idea of, you know, having to be alert, of course, is a a wider principle here uh, as far as the word of God is concerned. You know, we, we learn, do we not, from Peter's letter that the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. You know, this is one example of it. People being devoured by Satan's, you know, ferocious intention uh, to bring down the people of God. It can happen in a whole range of ways. But we need to be alert to that and recognize that, you know, life is not just about the sun shining and the wind blowing through the trees and, you know, having a cup of coffee. You know, it's, it's about the roaring lion And the fact that we are being hunted down so that we might fall as far as our faith is concerned. Same principle as in Acts chapter 20 when Paul speaks to the the elders in Ephesus and he, he uses a different animal, but it's the same point. He says, actually, out of your own number from the church itself, he said, there will arise ferocious wolves that won't spare the flock. And so you need to pay attention, he says. You need, to, you need to be on your guard against these things. Because there is a reality that all around us, there is harm and there is potential for this. Now, I mean, obviously there's a very specific example that is being cited here. And it's, this, it's, it's the issue of adultery. And it's about a wayward wife seducing a younger man that is specifically being talked about here. But, you know, as far as that wider sense of sexual immorality, I mean, this is something that is all-pervading, as we know, as far as our own society is concerned, that we're literally drowning in this. Um, that the generally accepted norms of, of, of behavior as far as sexuality is concerned in our world is, is just pulls apart from what the Bible actually is teaching the wisdom of the Bible's um, instruction. And, 
you know, it's interesting. You know, we, we really should read chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Proverbs alongside chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs. Because chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs is not the warning, but it's the example. It's about the virtuous wife and the characteristics of a godly wife and of a godly woman and what she is like. And that is held up as being the ideal and the gold standard for us. And God's wisdom would want that to be the case. And God's wisdom is clear in the Bible from beginning to end. And it's just so important for us to just state what to many of us seems obvious, but to many others is not at all obvious, even within church settings these days, about what the Bible's teaching is as far as this is concerned. That God intends sexual relations to be contained within a marriage. And marriage is a man and a woman for life. And the wonderful thing is that, you know, that, that marriage is, is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And it, it, it lifts and ennobles uh, the whole institution when we recognize the importance that God plays on it. Now, as I say, our... Society doesn't blink an eyelid at casual relationships, um, at sexual affairs. Pornography is epidemic. It's a click away for people. And there's total confusion um, about the nature of sexuality that flies in the face of you know, the most basic of science, never mind what the Bible has to say about it. And In light of all of that, you know, are we on the wrong side of history when we read the Bible and we make the points that I'm trying to make tonight? Who advises us? Who guides us? Who do we listen to? You know, what path do we follow? Where do we find wisdom? I say our navigation is the Bible. We're just back from holiday. And uh, Angela's brother and uh, his wife are great kind of uh, Google map people, you know. So we're walking through villages uh, and and the countryside, and my head is up, you know, and I'm I'm looking at this and that, and their head is down, and they're following this stuff on the the phone. And uh, interestingly, I came across this article. I don't think it made much impression on them, but I, I came across this article in the newspaper that actually talked about how somebody had required to be helicoptered off the face of a mountain because they had followed slavishly, you know, what the sat-nav said and had got themselves into trouble. And they cited other instances of people who had actually lost their lives uh, because of following what the map said rather than thinking for themselves. Now, you know, it's humorous, but, I mean, what map are we following? You know, what route are we going down? You know, there, there are so many voices. What we're saying today is, let, let's come to the, the treasure, as it's talked about here. The, the value of the wisdom of, of God's word that we have in front of us. And the reason that we need to do that, and this is the next word, is that there are consequences. There are consequences to what we believe, and there are consequences to how we behave. 
And that's the whole point of the warning, of course, that's given here. Now, broadly speaking, there are two types of consequences that are described. Now, the first is a very practical one. You know, as far as the practicalities of life and the reactions that we meet in life, as far as our actions are concerned. And as he talks about, you know, adultery in in chapter 6 here, um, you know, he says that, verse 34, jealousy makes a man furious. He'll not spare when he takes revenge. He'll accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. And, uh, you know, you will be burned. That's what he says. Can, can somebody take, you know, fire into their chest and their clothes not be burned? There, there will be consequences at a very practical level as far as the, the details of your life and relationships family, everything that's affected. You can't, for instance, have the lifestyle of chapter 6 and the life and enjoy the blessings of chapter 31 of Proverbs, where the man has complete confidence in his wife and he rises up to call her blessed and he knows the happiness of a family. You know, you can't have both of these things together. It's just the practical consequences of it. And secondly, there, there are eternal consequences. We have to say that. If someone persists in an attitude and a lifestyle like this, there are eternal consequences. That's why I did read at the end of chapter 7 these kind of sobering words. For instance, verse 26, many a victim has she laid low. Her house is the way to shield the place of the dead, going down to the chambers of death. Verse 23, he doesn't know It will cost him his life. There may well be eternal consequences, such as the severity uh, of of this kind uh, of sin. By the way, let me just say a little bit about superficial religion as far as this whole subject is concerned. In the detail of the the kind of narrative in chapter 7 here, um, you'll you'll notice that um, in verse number 14, when the adulteress comes out and meets this young man as he's going down the street, you know, as part of the whole seduction thing, she says, oh, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows, so now I've come out to meet you, and I've found you. You know, so she's saying, well, you know, you know, I'm, I'm involved in, 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 in my, my worship of God. I've, I've been down to the temple today. I've, I've taken my, my animal sacrifice, and I have offered it to God, and I've, I've given my vows to him, and, you know, and therefore, and it goes on, and it's a lot of rubbish. You know, people trotting out all this religious speech, and while they're, they're doing this, they're involved in something else as far as their, their behavior is concerned. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, this is alive and kicking today. The amount of people in churches and church leaders who trot out stuff, and yet their lives are a different thing altogether. And we need to get back to the fact that, you know, hypocrisy is something that is, is the biggest turnoff to people in the street as far as the church and the gospel is concerned. And, and what we need to be doing is living lives that are true, with integrity 
And what we say and do has to be the same thing. And we need to pray for each other as far as this uh, is concerned. It's a powerful remi- uh, reminder about empty religion. Um, that's why uh, when I mentioned that bit about binding these things on your heart, tying them around your neck. Of course, they did that in Jesus' day. These, you remember he talked about the phylacteries, you know, and these were things they actually did tie, little pieces of scripture around their heads. They put them on their doorposts, you know, and they felt that they were, they were obeying you know, the instruction that was handed down by doing that. God wasn't interested in all that outward side of things. It was what was in their heart that mattered. And that is always going to be the case. The heart is always the part, as I think it was Burns that said that, wasn't it? Yeah. And then we come on to our last point, uh, which is action. I mean, obviously, that's where everything is being driven up to. You know, he's giving the instruction. He wants action to be taken uh, because of this. Um, Just a couple of points under this heading. Look at chapter 7. He talks about his words, his wisdom, his instruction uh, as being like treasure. You know, this, this is the biggest thing I can give to you, boys. He says that here is the most valuable thing that I could ever give to you. This is treasure. I want you to treasure this up in your heart and value it. This will, this will give you more in life than anything financial or monetary. If you take this, it's the biggest thing that you could ever be given. And, and you know, we, we, we should reflect on that, the, the treasure, the value of the Word of God. Second point, just to draw your attention to the strange... Um, form of speech that, that we have taken into common usage as well. Keep my teaching, verse 2, as the apple of your eye. Well, what does that mean? The apple of your eye. Well, very interestingly, um, they reckon it probably should be translated as um, the pupil of your eye. You know, the apple is your pupil. You know, so if you're reading something, if you want to keep something close, man, you know, got the old reading glasses on now. And, uh, uh, you know, I need things to be brought closer to me. You know, the closest you can ever get, if you really think about it, is the pupil of your eye. And, and that's what we are to do with, with God's commandments and with his teaching. Keep them close. Keep them as close. Uh, and give the attention to them as you would right up against the pupil, the apple of your eye. And so that's the kind of activity As the psalmist says, you know, your word I've treasured up in my heart. I've hidden it in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And it gets us back to that first point about the active living element of of the word of God. Now, it's important, I think, just as we finish, that um, we look on a, a subject and chapters like this in the wider Bible context, not just to completely restrict it down to here. Um, And and what I mean is this, that obviously here here is a situation enormously relevant um, that needs instruction, but it's it's one example of how we fall short of the glory of God. It's one example of how we sin against God. 
And the whole message of the Bible, of course, is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to be the Savior for people who have sinned. And the Bible's attitude is not to take a holier-than-thou one. It's not to take a kind of superior, judgmental, kind of pointing-the-finger kind of role. The Lord Jesus was never that. that. He was... He was known, and it wasn't meant to be a it wasn't meant to be a compliment as the friend of sinners. And there were people, and on one occasion, a woman who had lived uh, a life that was less than desirable, and she 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 knelt at the feet of Christ, and she was weeping in her gratitude because she knew that he was her friend and that he had accepted her and he didn't condemn her and that he had forgiven her. And, and, and the people in the background are, are muttering away and saying, if, if he knew what kind of woman this was, you know, he wouldn't even have allowed himself to be touched by her. You know, and Jesus said, you know, where, where are your accusers? Jesus said, you know, I've come not, not for those who are whole and not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. And he comes to seek and to save those who are lost. And this is the this is the tremendous message that comes to us from beginning to end in the whole Bible. And it's, you know, though our sins are like scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And it's the fact that as we've remembered tonight, as we've focused again on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ when he died upon the cross, and we took that cup and we drank of it, we were remembering that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is able to cleanse us from all and every sin, whatever that sin is. And that is the tremendous point that comes as far as the gospel uh, is concerned. And so, these are the words, these active, living, wise words that come to us tonight, that demand our response and our action. And if I can just take you very briefly into the first couple of verses of chapter 8 and have you stand at the crossroads, verse 2, as he does, here is wisdom crying out at the crossroads. And I think that at every meeting like this, at every time we read the Bible, it's good for us just to put ourselves there You know, in our minds, standing at a crossroads, and there are different choices, there are different roads, and we and we have to walk down the right path. And that is what this is all about when we're being instructed about wisdom and and sexual sin and adultery. Choose life, choose the right path, walk down the right road, follow Christ and the blessings that come from him. May God bless his word. Uh, We'll pray and uh, then we'll have our final hymn. Lord, thank you once more for the wisdom of the Bible. Help us to treasure and value it. Believe it's living, active power. Choose the right way at the crossroads and the knowledge that Christ himself will receive us. So Lord, we ask for your grace. We know that For some who may well have regrets, um, there is the grace of Christ. There is pastoral and there is 
practical care that comes from your people, and we pray that that might be something that reassures us. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.